Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic yeah. books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. Doesn't get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another Batastic episode of Fanholes. Comic books, motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your bat hosts this evening, and I am joined tonight by two of my fellow bat enthusiasts. Why don't you guys give a shout-out and let everybody know who's here in the Batman Incorporated building tonight? Hey, get a clue? It's Justin. Hey, guys. I'm flipping a coin, deciding if I want to do this podcast. Oh, it landed on Tails. Bye. No, I'm just kidding. It's Tony. All right. So, yeah, if you haven't figured out, we are doing a Batman-themed podcast tonight on comic books, Motherfucker, Do You Read Them? And we're all picking a selected Batman comic book that we all each got off the spinner rack for a Stories from the Spinner Rack segment. But I'm also trying to narrowly tie this in to a feature film release because hopefully, as you are listening to this, the Lego Batman movie, much to my chagrin, will be premiering in theaters all over America right around the time that you're listening to this, February 10th, 2017. I, I, I don't think I've ever made any big secret that so far those Lego movies that I've seen have been not to my liking, you know, the Batman one. So I'm not like super excited about it or looking forward to it. But I think maybe like Tony, you said you like the the Lego movie with Batman in it and stuff like that. Is that something that you might check out in the theater? Or? I don't know about theater. I didn't check out the Lego movie in theater. I, I did watch it on home release. But yeah, I did like the Lego movie. And as long as they don't go to Batman with it, because I know one of your biggest problems is the, the direct-to-video DC Lego movies that are just ass. Hello again, uber nerd fans. I heard you blew up the Twitter sphere about my sweet new feature film, The Lego Batman Movie. You know, it's kind of like the original Lego movie, only vastly superior because it revolves entirely around me. So anyway, when you're as super as me... If they do it more like the Lego movie, I'll probably enjoy it. If they do it more like the stuff you've had to dredge through and watch... I'll, I'll probably be joining on that boat of, you know, fuck this shit! <laughs> well, I just, you know, you know me, I just don't like that, like, Superman is like... Red Thunderbolts, Thunderbolt Ross, Thunderbolts, like, Durr, Flash Thompson, or whatever, where it's like, Durr, Batman, okay. Hey there, uh, 
Cyborg? Wow, Superman, hi. I definitely wasn't eating pizza at the Hall of Justice very special table. Ah, good, good. <laughs> Fantastic. Superman, is anything wrong? What? No, no, everything's great. I just thought maybe you might want to uh, hang out a little, you know, like you kids say. Uh-oh. You know what? Maybe a little help around here wouldn't be completely unwelcome. Hey, Wonder Woman's here. You want to ask no, her? No, 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 no. No need to bother her. <laughs> we got this. No real reason to mention it to anyone in the League, ever. Oh, okay. Whatever. Happy to help. Just you and me taking on crime. We'll be a great team. Absolutely. Just like Batman and Robin. Fine. See you soon. Very soon. Please hurry. But but enough of that. I guess what we're here to actually do is talk about some fun Batman comics that we all read as kids. And kicking it off, I think it will actually be myself. I, as a young lad, and I don't need to go into any nitty-gritties about where I got this, because you've all heard the Quick Stop story by this point, but this was a Quick Stop comic book, and it was Detective Comics, issue 597. This was released in January of 1989, but I believe it has a cover date of February 1989. The title of the piece is called Private Viewing, and it's written by Alan Grant and John Wagner. The penciler is Eduardo Barreto. And since I'm actually going to be talking about it a little bit, the inker is Steve Mitchell. And the cover artist is Norm Brayfogle that has a big, awesome shot of Batman getting punched in the face. This story, basically, to avoid any confusion, is a conclusion to a two-part story that began in the previous issue, Detective Comics 596. And the first part, which was titled Video Nasties, basically deals with a criminal organization that specializes in violent snuff films. So in tracking down the perpetrators, Batman comes into conflict with the big bruiser of the organization, Tonka. And that's kind of where that ends in the previous issue. So when we open up in private viewing, we see a recording of the fight from the previous issue in progress. And one Milton Sladek, the head of the snuff film organization, unveils the video to his clients as the beating of a hero. And Batman thinks to himself that he may have had the upper hand in the battle, if not for a random flash of light in the sky. Tonka brutally ends up beating Batman down in their alleyway brawl. Luckily for Batman, Barry and Dirk, two young boxers who were introduced in the last issue, arrive on the scene. While the kids are no match for Tonka, their distraction gives Batman an opportunity to get his second wind. He knocks out Tonka by punching him into a lamppost and then flipping him into a brick wall. Too weary to pursue the cameraman, Oscar Lampet, Batman plants a bat tracer or a bat bug on him before passing out. A short time later, the Dark Knight is patched up at Gotham General Hospital and released. Following the signal from the Tracer back to Lampet's home, Batman overhears a conversation the snuff film peddler has with the buyer of the recently shot video. When dawn breaks, the Dark Knight follows Lampet to the opulent home of Milton Sladek. 
Lampet gives the film to Sladek, but rather than bust them right there and then, Batman decides to wait, intending to target the Boyers, who patronize Sladek as well. Batman has Lampet turn himself in to the Gotham City Police Department, and the cameraman confesses to Batman and Commissioner Gordon, telling them of a private showing later that night. At the viewing, Batman recognizes many of Gotham's elite who have turned out to watch the video. We have finally caught up to the opening page of the comic book as Sladek begins to show his video to the crowd. Now that Batman has reached the perfect time, he busts Sladek and all of the patrons are taken into police custody. Batman then takes them all to the hospital room of Arch Gaines, who had been severely beaten the night before during a videotaping from the last issue, and forces them to see the real-life results of the videos they enjoy watching. Though Sladek tries to take one of the female patrons hostage to flee incarceration, Gaines prevents the man's escape by stabbing him with a two-point pencil. Sladek can dish it out, but he certainly can't take it. Batman then disarms Sladek with a batarang and turns the pleading coward over to the police. And that basically wraps up private viewing. So, of course, I've, I've got my own kind of notes on that, but, but you know, like I said in the beginning, you know, not too much to the story behind how I got this. It was a pretty impressive cover to me, and it was a quick stop comic, so it was something, again, I was buying to kill time while waiting for my mom to get done at the nail and hair salon. But I'm kind of curious, like, what your guys' thoughts on this are. Is this... I guess, is this anything that either of you guys have read before? I had never read this before, so I, I really enjoyed this. You know, one of my, like, little quibbles or, you know, whatever that I kind of always point out is I, I kind of like it when Batman gets his butt kicked because we, you know, in my opinion, like, we don't see that much anymore because of the whole, like, Thanora, you know, the Bat God, and, you know, Batman's, like, got a plan for everything and whatnot. So, like, the opening scene sequence where Batman's getting beat up by this huge guy and you know there's he's really struggling and there's not really a, a lot he's you know doing he's not even throwing out any gadgets or anything he's just going mono and mono like I really like that like I kind of you know I, I've said this before but I kind of miss it when Batman would struggle with you know a bad guy whether it was you know a super villain like Bane or Two-Face or if it's just like you know just a really huge thug guy like it kind of reminds me of the fight in Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indy's fighting the huge German and getting you know he's like he's totally not a match for the guy that's kind of yeah, what this yeah. me of. the other thing I like is the theme of this where you've got these kind of illegal videos being filmed so they can kind of turn a profit and kind of the you know you have like the voyeuristic subtext of these upper crust <laughs> You know, you have, like, the, the subtext of, like, people kind of, like, being kind of a voyeuristic and watching it and getting their jollies. Like, this, like, I really like that theme, and it's something that I kind of, I think is still relevant today. Yeah. Years ago, there was that whole thing of, like, the bum fights video, which was really, yeah. really controversial. And, you know, there's all kinds of, like, crazy stuff on YouTube. Like, I mean, there's even, like, stuff where you can, like, see a person, like, shoot themselves in the head. And all kinds of crazy stuff. And then, you know, you, you always hear about, like, taboo and forbidden videos on, you know, the the dark web or the dark net or whatever. Like, you, you know, this kind of reminds me, or this kind of makes me think, you know, like, when I was reading this, I was, like, kind of struck by it. I was like, wow, this, this is still kind of a relevant thing today because people are still 
we you know we have like the we have, we have the internet, we have YouTube and all these other things, and we're we are kind of a voyeuristic, you know, society. Welcome to Nerve, a game like Truth or Dare minus the truth. Watchers pay to watch, players play to win. Cash and glory. Are you a watcher or a player? Are you a watcher or a player? Are you a watcher player? Watch player. It's cool, right? This looks very sketchy. <laughs> Is this legal? Life is passing you by. You need to take a few risks every once in a while. I do take risks. Okay. You're playing Nerve. Do you accept your dare game? Stranger for five stranger. seconds. <laughs> Just kiss that guy. Okay. Okay, bye. <laughs> Apparently, the watchers want me to team up with you. I don't think I'd make a very good partner. Stay. Let's see what else happens. Okay. Do you know where I can find this dress? My wallet, my clothes, everything's gone. No, my stuff is gone too. Let's go find Look, we don't have a choice. Technically, it just says we have to leave the store. Big fan. Hold on, I'm just doing the Y in Daddy. What? He's kidding. Dollar dollar bill, y'all. You know that some kid died in Seattle playing this? What happens if I bail? You lose everything. All of our money is missing. Wait, Mom, what? Officer! <laughs> Officer, I need help. V, don't do this. How do you know my name? What the hell is going on? Watchers, they stole our identities. We became prisoners of the game. V, we control your life. The only way out is to win. I remember, you're my eyes. No way. Players, show us your weapons. I recently watched a film called Nerve, which is kind of has similar themes. It's about these people who kind of play this dare game on their phone and it's like whenever they com complete a dare they get money deposited into their account and of course you know the dares quickly escalate and become you know dangerous and there's a voyeuristic part of that film where you know you have all these people like watching these videos because you have to like film yourself doing the dare to like you know get the money so you have all these people people watching these videos and they're kind of watching anonymously and it's like a voyeuristic thing where all these people are like, oh, like, look, this this chick is like, you know, going to walk across a ladder that stretched between these two, like, you know, seven, eight, nine story buildings. Like, I just, you know, I, I really enjoyed this issue. So I'm glad you kind of you know went with this one. It was very interesting. Cool. I mean, again, you know, one of the goals with doing like a stories from the spinner rack for me is just to pick some comics that were early, obviously, in my comic book reading career. This was sort of bef most of these ideally are before 
we had access to comic shops or, you know, something that you bought off the spinner rack and what have you. I mean, obviously, there, you know, in some cases, uh, there are certain issues I can pick out that might be, you know, what I consider cheats. Like maybe somebody gave the comics to me or, you know, maybe I did buy it from a not comic book store, but maybe long after I had discovered comic books and I just sort of was trying to pick up a hot issue after the fact or something like that. But, I mean, in this case, this is fairly genuine. I, I'd probably say this is the first issue of Detective Comics I ever bought off the spinner rack. And I think part of that is because, like I was saying, the cover kind of stood out to me. I mean, I, I know it's funny to say now, but at the time, I mean, Batman getting a bloody nose... Like, that wasn't anything you normally saw, <laughs> yeah. you know? It doesn't happen. The, these days, I guess it's common hat. You know, Batman's getting stabbed and, you know, screwed up and everything's fine or whatever. And, and there's all these kind of violent things like the Joker ripping his face off and stuff like that. And it's just common hat. But to me, like, seeing Batman being filmed on what is essentially a kind of a, a softcore snuff film, you know, getting beat up, you know, and, and getting a bloody nose, like, that was like, whoa, what is this, you know, so obviously that kind of stood out to me, uh, of course, that cover was done by Norm Brayfogle, who went on to be a regular penciler on both Detective Comics and Batman, who was a wonderful penciler, Great. but even like, you know, but, but even like the interior art, I think, is, is kind of pretty awesome, I mean, it's Eduardo Beretta, but I, I feel like, I mean, I don't know, like, for me, like, the inker, I said I was going to talk about this, like, the inker is Steve Mitchell, and, like, I, I kind of felt like, in some ways, like, I, I don't know if I can attribute it to the inking or the penciling or whatever, but I, I kind of felt like the art was definitely going for a look that was akin to David Mazzucchelli's year one, you know, like you kind of had a Batman who was a little more, I, I kind of want to say like how Mazzucchelli kind of had that simple kind of essential line and it, you know, got the detail you needed, but it wasn't like, you know, hyper speed lines and all this kind of stuff. It, it was kind of like a newspaper comic strip, like, like, like uh, Prince Valiant and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, but, but then also what I kind of found interesting about it was I thought like the inking kind of, in some ways kind of reminded me a little bit of art to bear, like, you know, kind of had, a, you know, even, you know, this is way before like Jim Lee, like, you know, that kind of notion of how they had that sort of, you know, quote unquote, cool inking you know like where yeah I, I, it seemed like it was it was a definite distinction between other eduardo beretta kind of artwork i'd seen before and and like it, for me again like obviously by this point i had read dark knight returns and that's kind of what so, sort of, I always speak to that as being something that was seminal and kind of blew my mind, and especially, you know, kind of going from, like, Super Friends, Filmation Batman, and Adam West Batman to Dark Knight Returns, it's kind of quite the leap. But I, I also kind of consider this kind of a bridging comic between Adam West and what I would consider modern Batman for me, because, like, even the way he's drawn in some cases, like... He, he has the small ears, and Adam West had the small ears. 
And I, I kind of was like, oh, it's almost like Adam West is kind of getting bloodied in the face in a weird way. And, like, even when he kind of squints in some cases or, or closes his eyes when he's getting beaten, it's kind of like you almost notice, like, oh, it's not just the white pupils. Like, he kind of, he's kind of human a little bit. He, it seemed a little more humanized, especially when he was he was in those kind of fights. Yeah, I noticed that, too. Like, there, there are several panels where you... You can see him like leaning over like a computer screen on in the the Batmobile, and you just kind of see him from the side. The thing I noticed is like you actually see like the skin around his eye, and you see his eye. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting because usually we see Batman, and it's only just the white part. Like you rarely ever see the eye and the you know the bare skin around the eye. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and that that's kind of why I think I I thought of Adam West a little bit even when I was reading this as a kid and, and why I sort of consider it kind of a, a bridging comic book to, you know, from, from one era for me to the other. But, like, even, even the fact that, like, Batman, you know, again, you know, we speak to how, you know, it's more commonplace today that Batman gets into these scrapes and either he's, he's the bat god of awesome and comes out unscathed or if he does get horribly hurt, you know, like you've got all these direct-to-video things where Nightwing is practically crucified and you'd think, you know, he could never walk or hold a, a, a scrim-a-stick again, but then by the end of it, it's like he's hunky-dory, like nothing ever happened. He's fine. You know, and, and, and that always kind of cracks me up, too. And, you know, similar things happen to Batman, whether it's in the Court of Owls or whatever. And in this case, I think the consequence of Batman having this fight with the, the, the kind of the big goon or whatever, right? Like, this, this guy... I'm trying to remember what his name is. Tonka, you know, it's like the big, the big bruiser Tonka or whatever. Tonka <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and so like, like basically, he a- actually has to go to Gotham General Hospital and get patched up. And of course, what I love, which to me speaks to it being a bridging Batman '66 moment for me, is they keep his mask on, <laughs> but then they work on all his wounds. You know, so it's like there's this this great kind of beat where, you know, the doctor is chastising Batman for getting into these fights and chastising him for violence and all this other stuff. And Batman's just like, look, Doc, you do your job, I'll do mine. And sometimes it takes violence to stop violence. And, you know, but but what I thought was great about it was, like, nobody... It, it's like there was never any question. Like, nobody was going to take off Batman's mask. Like, it was just like, you <laughs> you respected the mask, you know? Like, And it wasn't that there was a fucking taser in the goddamn cowl and everybody and their brother would have been electrocuted <laughs> had they taken it off. It was just, it was no, just do this that. kind of, yeah, this, this kind of unspoken decorum, you know, sort of still carrying over, you know, the friend of the police Batman. He's also apparently you know, friend of the medical institution industry as well, you know, and, and nobody's going to just pull off his mask, you know, just because. And and even even that, like, it reminded me a bit of Batman 66 because the doctor ends it with, you know, no bat ropes! Do you hear me, Batman? No bat ropes! You know, and I'm thinking, oh, he can't walk up walls with Burt Ward now because he's, he's that hurt, you know? I, I think it is kind of interesting that you, that you had just mentioned that because... Probably one of the best scenes in this comic that really drives home, like you said, consequence is uh, he sneaks into uh, uh, what's his name again? Slats? What's his name? Slade? 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 I guess. Slade. Slade. He, he uh, sneaks into his apartment loft 
to uh, kind of case the joint while they're watching this, you know, like you said, snuff film, basically. And Batman even makes a comment. He's like, I've never seen myself get beat up before. You know, he's always, you know, in there in person, you know, he's getting the punches in his face. And it start, it, it actually kind of makes him a victim. He, like, feels victimized. And he gets angry. And Batman rarely loses his cool. He's usually like, you know, Mr., you know, I, I can handle everything. Or if he does get angry, it's just, you know, like, noble rage. I'm the knight. I am justice. He, he's like, you know, he, he remembers getting his ass kicked by uh, Tonka. And he's going through every move as they as he sees it on the screen. It's like, this is where I started tasting my own blood. And he just, like, trails off. And there's that moment where you think, like, he might just snap. But he is Batman. He does have a code. He's not going to kill people and stuff. But, you know, this, you know, like Justin was saying with the voyeurism, this wasn't just Batman getting his ass kicked. This is people watching Batman getting his ass kicked and enjoying it. And, like, having this, you know, kind of sick thrill from it. So that was, like... You know, Bruce, as a person, you know, not just Batman, Bruce as a person, feeling, you know, victimized. He, he This is one of the times where he wasn't in control. He wasn't like, you know, the bad guy. And it wasn't just a beatdown. It was him feeling vulnerable and people watching his vulnerability and enjoying it. And it, it made him, he calls these people disgusting. He says, like, you know, you disgust me and stuff. I thought that was like a very, that's a real moment. That's like a, that's a human emotion. That's how someone who would get their ass kicked and somebody's watching from the corner would feel. They wouldn't be like, you know, I'll take you down for justice. They're like, you know, you're disgusting individuals. You fucking enjoyed this. You enjoyed seeing me get my ass kicked. You know, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, and I don't think anybody would frown on Batman if he beat the shit out of Sladek. But it is kind of interesting that there is still that whole friend of the policeman mode where he's like, I could beat the shit out of you, but I'm just going to turn you over to the cops right now. And, and we've, you know, basically, you know, thanks to the, the one hospital patient, the kid that's kind of like Archie or whatever, Archie Gaines, you know, he, he obviously, you know, does stab the guy with a number two pencil. But, I mean, other than that, like, you know, it, it, it's just basically, hey, like nobody was really hurt. You know, he didn't slash anybody's throat or anything like that you know we, basically we we were able to stop him before any you know significant damage was done like even though this this criminal thing was going on for for a while like it doesn't appear that anybody died as a result of this you know and basically the whole idea is oh thank god and you know hopefully you know some of these idiots will learn a life lesson from you know what they've done. I mean, you see the woman who's the hostage probably is the most genuine in her guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her basically her regret over what was done and that she's going to try to make restitution, you know, once she, you know, serves her time or whatever, but everybody else you, you don't know about, you know, maybe they're all slimed up with lawyers and they don't care or whatever, but it looks like maybe they got through to, you know, at least one person, you know, with that whole, you know, event and everything like that. And and I guess, you know, not, not to totally disgruntle any fans of the Bat God if you want some some modicum of an excuse of why Batman was blindsided and taken down by Tonka. If, if you know, Tonka Truck is not a good enough reason for you, <laughs> well, it, it's not explicitly referenced. There's no asterisk and it doesn't point to anything, but this was right around the time frame when Invasion was going on in the DC Universe. And so, basically, the flash of light that occurs 
at the end of 596 that leads into 597 with Batman getting his ass kicked. The, the idea is that's part of the metagene bomb that was going off at the time. So it basically okay. every, everybody was kind of blindsided by that. Nobody knew it was coming. Nobody could have had prep time to plan for it. And so that, that's the idea. If it wasn't for the metagene bomb going off, maybe, maybe Batman could have gotten the upper hand on Tonka. But because that flashlight went off and he was totally blindsided and distracted, you know, obviously Tonka could, you know, bloody Batman's nose, which, like I said, was at the time kind of unheard of. But I, I, I feel like, you know, th there are those bridging issues that, that slowly seep in elements of, you know, Frank Miller, Mazzucchelli's year one, and the kind of more hardcore Batman stuff from Dark Knight Returns. I mean, even Gotham City, in a way, is kind of a, a pretty beautifully painted character. You know, the way it, it kind of reminds you of, you know, New York before it got cleaned up and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of the the billboards and signs, you know, you feel like, oh, it's yeah. kind of like the, the the slimier part of a city where, you know, you've got the little, you know, porn video shops <laughs> and all that kind of stuff that's always yeah, in the know, background. Yeah, no, Joel Schumacher giant statues and shit, yeah. Right, right. It just seems like it's it's this kind of seedy part of town that, you know, you, you can't help but walk down the block and, you know, be associated with something seedy. And, and of course, the, the bad guys are, are very seedy as well, so so it all kind of fits in with the tone of the piece. I was going to ask you about that, Derek. This, this, well, you said bridging, which actually kind of kind of spoke to me. One thing this kind of really reminded me of is, as everybody knows, and I know you love this show too, I know you get grunt, grumpy with, like, JLA and JLU. This seemed like a Batman the Animated Series episode that was like one of the darker ones because they didn't have some dark Batman the animated series episodes. They wouldn't have said blood. They wouldn't have probably shown Batman getting his ass kicked that much. But Batman getting his ass kicked in Batman the animated series was not something unheard of, and it also had a moral, which this had a you know kind of a moral. It was like don't be you know scummy voyeurs and stuff. So did it kind of seem like a like you know a a, a, a tad bit darker you know episode of Batman the animated series like in retrospect, not when you read it, obviously, but. Yeah, I mean, this I obviously read long before Batman the Animated Series ever came along. I mean, if you wanted me to continue my my bridging notion, I mean, maybe what I would point to is, you know, Batman getting his nose bloodied is kind of like watching that episode of On Leathery Wings and seeing, like, the, the blood dribble out of, like, Batman's mouth or something when he gets yeah. smashed through, like, 500 windows, you know? But again, you know, you're kind of like, dude, like, he was... Smash through like 500 windows and all I got was this bloody lip. But, but you know, I, I, I see what you're saying. Like, there, there is that notion of, okay, he's human, he's fallible, you know, he's just wearing some tights and he can be hurt and burned and scalded and, and all these kind of things. And, and that's kind of something that hopefully, you know, speaks to the audience. I mean, that's, that's usually what they always point to. It's like, oh, anybody can be Batman. Well, we can all get hurt, you know. So that's, that's sort of part yeah. of the package, I guess, you know, like that, that it has you know, with, with this kind of story, you know, I mean, I, I it, it's funny, I wasn't sure, because it, it had been a long time since I read this, I wasn't sure if I was going to like this still, or if I, I would have looked at it with different eyes and stuff like that, but, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of nostalgia and sentiment behind the selection, so, you know, there, there's that that you need to take into account, but, I mean, even looking at it, I was kind of impressed with the art, and, and that, you know, you had a series of backgrounds and imagery that was 
clear storytelling, but also it, it didn't seem to skimp on. You, you sort of knew where you were, and if you were in a boxing yeah, ring yeah. or in a in a you know luxurious mansion or on a seedy city street with you know porn stores in the background, like you kind of you kind of had your bearings of of where you were in this version of Gotham City, which to me seemed a whole hell of a lot like the version of Gotham City that they sort of established in Mazzuchelli's year one. So, you know, it, it, it seemed like that, that this is kind of a good example of an issue to point to where, you know, it was slowly migrating from, you know, Batman, friend of the policeman, you know, funny kind of Joel Schumacher, you know, statuesque kind of, you know, giant pianos, you know, type thing to kind of a more realistic you know, Rorschach running through city streets, you know, being dirty and stuff. I would just like the, the more mobster villains, like, you know, like Roland Daggett or the Falcone family who are, they're just guys. They're just, they're just really horrible people, but they're just guys. They have, they don't have weapons or they don't have, you know, you know, killer croc thing. You know, even, even like Tonka, even though he's like, obviously a strong dude and he can fight. He's just a guy. He's just a really strong guy who can fight. And it's, it's kind of nice seeing Batman, taken down a peg every once in a while by people who are, you know, not, you know, Killer Croc. They're not, you know, Deadshot. You know, it's like these are just criminals, and they sometimes can uh, get the upper hand. Yeah, and I mean, he makes it through all right. I mean, it's just it's just funny the way he kind of has to take him out. It's not, it's not quite so elegant or pre-planned as, yeah. as you might think of Batman you know it's more like oh what what's nearby what can I use to my advantage oh here's a lamppost I'm gonna smash your face into it and let me flip you over into this fucking brick wall real quick so I don't totally get my ass killed you know and you're like okay cool and and again you know I guess you know, without it being you know hitting you over the head I mean it's not Robin in a Robin suit but there are you know, two young kids who look up to Bruce Wayne and then in this issue, you know, sort of pull Batman's bacon out of the fire as well. So you, you do have that sort of element of, uh, you know, the, the youthful wards that are, you know, in the vicinity that kind of give Batman his reprieve as well, you know, give him a chance to go round two or get his second wind and stuff. So, you know, again, I, you know, this is something that I, I'm, I'm sort of happy that I could revisit it and it, it doesn't, uh, it's it's nothing I was disappointed in revisiting. So so to me that's a nice surprise. Stop and listen. Stop and listen to me. Listen. Listen. Listen to me. They're not human. Everyone. They're here already. You're next. November fourth, nineteen eighty-eight. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kuns, the Tanagarians, and the Durlins, and they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations' response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Hey, Fanholes Podcast listeners, Derek, Derek WC here for a Fanholes Figure That segment. 
This is going to be my review for the Mafex The Dark Knight Rises Batman by Mediacom. Probably not news to anybody who follows this blog spot, but Mafex Mediacom Batman is awesome! Mafex actually stands for Miracle Action Figure EX. Well, I'm not 100% certain, I would imagine the EX is short for EXTREME! This is the original version and was a 2013 purchase made on Amazon for $33.39. Currently, the going price is $61.99 on Amazon. A hyper-articulated Japanese import based on Christian Bale's appearance in the third movie of Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. He is certainly extremely poseable, and this figure is more closer in scale with DC Universe classics and Marvel Legends than the Mattel Movie Masters version. It has all the articulation of the older Toy Biz Marvel Legends, and better without any of the drawbacks. In my opinion, he doesn't look ugly, and the shoulder pads cover up any weird tomato-looking ball joints. In addition, he is easy to pose. With some Toy Biz Marvel Legends, it feels like it's either a marionette and loose as hell, or so tight that if you try to move an arm, you might break it. Here the joints are not loosey-goosey, but they're not super tight either. To me, they move like butter and hold that pose like butter in the fridge. Or, as Goldilocks might say, they are just right. He certainly comes with enough accessories to be awesome. There is a bat grapple gun, an EMP rifle, swap out fists, also known as punchy hands, open hands, and one right trigger hand. However, there are not so many alternate hands that one becomes overwhelmed with options. I would like to address two major drawbacks I've heard about up front though, and simply state that I'm completely fine with both of them. One, the figure can stand just fine, and does not require the stand he comes with to be stationary. However, that's not to say the inclusion of the stand doesn't add to the overall value of the purchase. Two, yes, his arms do pop off at the drop of a hat, but to me, that's better than breaking off while the ball joint stays in the socket if you get too overzealous with some of your poses. I've also heard some folks thought that the cape should be wired. Speaking as a collector who has a wired Mattel Adam West Batman from the 2-pack with Robin, I can safely state that it doesn't really help pose the cape very well anyway, and the non-wired cloth version makes either Batman figure easy to sit down in a Batmobile. In the final analysis, Mafex The Dark Knight Rises Batman is honestly one of the best 6-inch movie Batman out there. If you'd like to know more about Batman, check out a multitude of videos on hocof.blogspot.com and, of course, plenty of podcasts here on the Fanholes Podcast Network over at fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. So I think we'll go ahead and move on to the next book which is something that Tony brought for us tonight. And it's going to be Batman issue 441, but I'm going to go ahead and let Tony take it away and let us know what, what goes on in that issue and maybe why he selected it for tonight. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it is 441 of the uh, ongoing Batman series. This was an interesting issue for me because this is kind of right in the middle of uh, an arc called A Lonely Place of Dying. At this point, Jason Todd is dead. He's been killed by the Joker. Batman is not quite Batman. He's a lot more angry, a lot more violent. Not a murderer, but still, he, he's not himself. During this arc, we are introduced to a character called Tim Drake. Basically, what is going on in this issue is, is not a lot of action, but I don't really need action all the time if it's a good story. The main crux of this issue is that we have Two-Face and Batman trying to outwit each other. 
which is really cool because usually Two-Face isn't shown to be this like calculating smart guy and he is a district attorney formerly you know he was Harvey Dent he, he's got a brilliant mind and in this we see him going through all these other ideas he could do for a, for a big heist you know to get Batman's attention because he's got this subconscious radio quote unquote no offense guys this is over 20 years old so it's the Joker he's, he's piping into his radio and he's trying to get Harvey to work for him deal with it spoilers but anyway he's doing this because he's trying to outwit batman and he's going through all these various ideas and you know instances where it's like oh i could do this i could do this and every time he's like no batman will suspect this or no batman will think this is too obvious or no batman you know wouldn't go for this because this doesn't seem like me and batman is doing the same thing on the other side of the coin all during this though we have tim drake and Dick Grayson going to Wayne Manor and Tim Drake just right out of the bag just tells Alfred hey I know who Batman and Robin are I'm just here to like chill and help out Batman uh, I need Dick to get on the, the same side of this so it's through a, a nice little I guess you say flashback oriented thing where we see that Tim Drake is really intelligent he first met Dick Grayson at Haley Circus with his family and he was enjoying the circus but he met Dick and he was just he was like you know kind of awestruck he was like this guy's so cool and, you know, Dick being the guy he is, he was like, you know, hey, watch my, my performance, Tim. It'll be cool. Unfortunately, this is when they died. This is when the Flying Graysons fell to their death due to the mob boss, Tony Zuko. This affected Tim really hard. He, he was scared of Batman at first, but then he saw that he was a good person. And he goes on to explain how he saw Dick do a quadruple somersault on their trapeze act. And as timelines went forward... He saw Robin do the same purple somersault against the Penguin and, you know, some footage captured on CCTV. And he just put two and two together and he figured it out. And, you know, Alfred's actually kind of, like, grumpy about it. He's questioning, but he's like, what do you want? And Tim's whole thing is he doesn't really want to get involved. He does have hero worship, but he thinks that Bruce needs Dick. He needs Robin. He doesn't need Nightwing. And he's like, you know, you need, you need him. And just for some examples of why I think this is a good issue to like pick up from a spinner rack, you know, the, the art is done by Jim Apera, who is one of the quintessential Batman artists. I mean, you can't say Jim Apera without people knowing who he is. But it's also written by Marv Wolfman, and the cover was done by George Perez, which again, George Perez, another great artist. He's known for Teen Titans, but Dick is a Teen Titan, he is Nightwing now. So, like, you know, all these great writers and artists, you know, pitching in to establish Tim helps out to where this is going. So Batman does figure out what Two-Face is planning. He's, he's kidnapped two twins, and he's put them on a bridge with a grenade and everything strapped to their chests. Two-Face figures out that Batman is kind of luring him to the Gemini Club for a huge heist, $2.2 million. And they, they kind of fuck each other on that. Not literally, but they, uh, Two-Face... I mean, Batman can't resist saving the kids, and they outsmart each other. Batman still wins in a half-hearted way because Two-Face has to flip a coin. He always has to flip a coin. And he's free and clear. Everybody's gassed. He can walk out. The coin says no. He does not take the money. So in his, his head, Batman wins. Batman, however, when he's trying to save the twins, he's trying to disarm this grenade. And he says, you know, hold still. I've got to let you dislodge this. Okay, listen to me, Jason. Oh my God, Jason, like Jason flashes into his head. That's a really cool moment. That's like him 
again, in the previous, you know, story we're talking about, Batman kind of losing his shit for a second. You don't see that a lot. And I, I thought that was really cool that he was reminded of Jason. So, you know, Batman does save the day. He gets the twins. The money is safe. You know, inadvertently, he didn't really do anything. And he he's even doubting himself. He's wondering if he could have done this if he had a partner. Or if he doesn't have a partner, how could he be in two places at once? Meanwhile, Dick is telling Tim that he is right. Batman needs his help. But he's going to be Nightwing. He can't go back to being Robin. That is just not who he is anymore. You, you know, he even quotes, you know, Thomas Wolfe. He can't go home again. And he unfurls the awesome disco collar Nightwing outfit. Thank you very much. And jumps on his bike and he's going to go helpers. Tim is like, Alfred, does he understand? He needs Robin. And Alfred's like, maybe Dick Grayson understands more than you know. So we're left on a nice cliffhanger. Again, this is, you know part of a series of a uh, story arc but tim was really cool in this two-face was awesome he seemed much more intelligent and clever than he ever has also manic and crazy the flashbacks were great the art again much of a paro is top-notch he draws probably what i would consider to me the quintessential batman i read a lot of like those stories after i got older but this was one of the ones i picked up at a grocery store just sitting on a shelf and i love the george perez cover and I was like, oh, I got to get this. This looks so good. And I was kind of off on the whole Tim Drake thing at first because I didn't know who he was. I had read Death in the Family trade paperback, which I did get at the comic store. So that doesn't count. But this, this really like, you know, made me a fan of Tim Drake. I was like, this, this kid's pretty smart and I like him. And it made Two-Face cool. This is back when he had a green face, not a pink or purple weird face like the, the damn Joel Schumacher thing. And... It was just is just a really good classic Batman story. It's like, you know, even though it's like part of a story arc, which you listeners may have to catch up on to get the whole gist, it, it, it summed up a lot of what I was questioning. Like, Batman is kind of Looney Tunes right now. He does need a Robin. You know, Dick is trying to help, you know. And again, if you love the Joker, he does make a cameo, quote unquote, at the end, speaking over the radio and basically telling Harvey, you know, he's got a plan. Dance, you're such a fool. You were hiding out, safe and sound. Your ridiculous coin told you to give up crime forever. And you would have if I hadn't found you. Oh, I knew you could have never killed bats. But you could keep him busy while I mended from my last encounter with him. So good knowing I could control things, even from my hospital bed. What a shame he's got a new brat, though. Still, easy come, easy go! <laughs> Even though this is not a one and done, I thought this was a really strong issue and it really did help, you know, start, I guess what you would call Tim Drake mania because a lot of people like Tim Drake as Robin. For sure. Like, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Tim Drake was a huge deal at the time when, when he rolled along and everything. I mean, and, and I remember this, this whole arc being a, a gigantic deal. I mean, by this point, I think I was buying stuff in the comic book stores but I mean there there was some question I think with with the ads and everything that was going on like was Nightwing gonna give up being Nightwing and go back to being Robin like I don't think we all knew that Tim Drake was 
was there maybe to become the new Robin until later on. And, and then when it happened, you know, it probably seemed so obvious, but I mean, I remember thinking as a kid, you know, like when, when you see these ads, you see, you know, Nightwing holding the old Robin costume and you're kind of like, Oh, is he going to, is he going to switch back to being Robin now? You know, cause Jason Todd's dead. Like what, what exactly is going to, going to go down. I, I was kind of curious though, Tony, do you remember what grocery store you bought this from? Like, do you have any other like specific memories of where this sort of came from per se? Yeah, it, it was at a grocery store. Back in the days, kids, they would have magazine racks. Magazines used to be a thing. I, I don't know if you know what magazines are. Slick covers and, and, and okay, whatever. But um, they would also have comics from time to time. And like I said, this cover just really spoke to me. It just Again, I, I totally blame, you know, George Perez. He's a great artist. And it had, you know, this cover with Two-Face and Batman and, like, kind of a silhouette dark on opposite sides of each other. All of this history of Batman at Dick Grayson's feet, and he's looking at the Robin costume, like you said, Derek, and you're wondering, what the hell's going on? And I knew that Dick Grayson wasn't Robin anymore. I, I, I was, you know, burgeoning all my comics, you know, epic being a reader. But I was like, he's not going to be Robin again. What's going on? You know, I know this Tim Drake character kind of. I mean, I know people have been talking about him. But this one really, really did pull me in. And, you know, years later, I, I got, you know, the complete Lonely Place of Dying story arc, you know, in individual issues because I thought it was a really good series enough to warrant reading it from cover to cover and then going to the next issue. It was like, you know, sometimes you want that thrill of like, oh, what's going to happen next? I got to get the next issue. Sometimes a trade paperback just doesn't do it justice. And, you know, just like I said, it was just this cover because I always liked Batman and I never liked Robin when I was younger. And I will say that right now, I didn't like Burt Ward when I was younger. I've grown to love Burt Ward on um, Batman 66. I always thought Dick Grayson was kind of a tool, loved him as, as Nightwing. I thought Nightwing was his genesis of being a great character. But I will say that Tim Drake was probably my Robin. He is my Robin. He's like the guy I like. I like him as Robin. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 I think if you grew up around the time me and Tony did, like we were both becoming teenage boys right around when Robin was being introduced, you know, Tim Drake Robin. So if you, if you were getting your learner's permit, it's like Robin was kind of getting his learner's permit, <laughs> yeah. and learning how to drive the Redbird and all that kind of stuff. So you felt like, oh, okay, you know, Tim's got his girl troubles and I've got my own girl troubles. And, you know, there, there, there was definitely that sort of in with, with Tim Drake as far as that goes. I, I you know what else I was going to mention that I think is interesting is it's cool that you got this issue off the, the, you know, spinner rack, essentially, or the magazine rack, as you're saying. But, you know, for me, I'm thinking, like, the, the thing I remembered about this was, for some reason, I remember Batman was pretty plentiful, whether you could get it at a comic store or on the newsstand, but the new Titans issues were direct market, as far as I remember. Yeah, I never got those. So I remember those, those Those were not as easy to come by. You know, you had to go to a comic store to get those. So so I felt like that that's something that I think is, is interesting about that. I mean, as far as that goes, I mean, George Perez did a lot more of the interiors, and my man Tom Grummet did a lot of the finishes on those and stuff like that. So that, I mean, that definitely is a defining moment as far as like discovering maybe like the the new titans and stuff like that because of that kind of crossover mentality yeah yeah the, the, 
the blurb at the end of this issue is like continue to new titans you know <laughs> yeah yeah so you you kind of want to check out all those other other issues and everything like that i mean and and i agree with you i mean it's a beautiful cover the for 441 i mean the whole you know dick grayson in the bat cave holding the robin costume you can see the giant penny and the dinosaur and alfred and tim are in the background there with the bat computer and everything and then you see like you know the skyline with the gemini towers and the bridge and Batman and Two Faces, you know, faces kind of in silhouette and everything. I mean, it's it's a very very well composed and obviously, you know, George Perez is a master at his craft and it it looks pretty awesome. I mean, I you know, why wouldn't that jump out at you among any other comics on the stands and stuff like that? I mean, it is it is really really awesome cover. Did, what about you, Justin? Have you ever had you read this before we talked about this? Is there any kind of stories you have about this issue in particular? Yeah, I, I had read this before, so it, it, it was fun to revisit it. I'll, I'll probably talk about Robins in general when I get to my my pick. But yeah, I, I really like this, and as Tony mentioned, I think the thing that stands out the most is the kind of mental game and chess that Batman and Two-Face are playing. Like, I really like that. It's like they're kind of like, you know, Two-Face is like, oh, I could probably, like, rob this place. And he's like, no, that's too obvious. And Batman's on a ledge thinking, Two-Face could rob this place. No, that's too obvious. And they keep, they keep like, going back and forth trying to predict what the other would do and kind of, like, counter, thinking of, like, a counter move and, you know, like, the next move after that. Like, I really like that. That, that was, I thought that was really interesting. I feel like, like, being Two-Face is like being, like, a guy trying to come up with topics for comic podcasts sometimes because it's like he's like super super duper obsessive about every little thing and it's like should we do this no 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 that'd be too obvious it's like well what if we do this but then he'll know that we're gonna do this so why don't we do this so he doesn't think that and then we'll do this you know and it's like it what i kind of had forgotten like how obsessive he was with duality because sometimes like yeah. you know obviously like there, i think there's this famous quote from peter david about the movie batman forever where he said something to the effect of because i think he wrote like the movie novelization yeah. but he looked at the screenplay and just basically said they they had the herculean task of of taking you know a two-dimensional character and making him completely one note and they totally succeeded i'm probably mangling the quote but i mean basically that's the idea it's like you here you've got this guy who's multifaceted and you made him the most one note kill the bat you know, <laughs> character that, that you, you you'd ever have on film right and and in this case it's like this notion of how obsessed he is with like oh well, we can do the Gemini crimes, and we've got these twins, and you know, or or like you know, the twenty-two point two million. You know, it's like it's like how can it's like how can he not? It's like I've got to rip off something that's twenty-two point two million. Like that's just that's just too good. It's my thing. That's my thing. That's what I do. You know, like I it's like it, I crave it. You know, I I have this passion for it. Like anything with with twos and duality and you know that that kind of thing. So I had sort of forgotten all that kind of stuff. I do think and and this is this is obviously not any reflection on the writing cuz you know nobody had any way of predicting this and knowing this, but I mean at one point he even contemplates blowing up the yeah. twin towers with Batman inside. Yeah. And and I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking about it and I'm just kind of like, "Geez, man, like, 
you know like that's and and like part of me is thinking is it like are there twin towers in gotham too but then i'm like nightwing lives in new york city so maybe he's talking about the actual twin towers and then i'm just like geez listen this is like a good 10 12 years before this actually happened so yeah <laughs> yeah 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 and 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 it's just one of those things where you know you, you you know revisiting it you can't help but think about it you know i mean obviously it weighs heavy on everyone and and it's just one of those things where now every time you you see something like that you know it makes you stop and take pause so that was that was like one of the first things that i sort of wrote down was like oh geez like you know like i it wasn't anything i remembered or anything but it's just this almost offhanded comment like tony's saying he's contemplating all these possibilities of crimes and 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 things that fit his obsession and that was one of them because obviously twin for two you know and that's all there was to it they just thought you know they're 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 being clever with with the twos and all those kind of scenarios and it's nothing that was actually ever you know put on panel or anything like that but it is one of those things where it's something that was originally an offhanded comment you know of course sort of makes you just kind of stop and have a moment like like it would with anybody but i mean you know there, there's other stuff that i took note of too i don't know if you guys noticed this but there is one panel where they call tim by the name he was originally gonna have jeff and they yeah he calls him jeff <laughs> it's like i had sort of forgotten about that but like it's like he has this moment where he's like listen jeff and i was like part, part of me is like i wonder if like the no prize could be like <laughs> Dick just calls anybody he doesn't like too much, Jeff. You know, listen, Jeff, shut up. He's just like, it's like if you're just like, listen here, Jeff. You know, like, but obviously, like, I guess his original name was probably supposed to be Jeffrey, like Timothy or something like that. And they they explain it, I think, in some letter column later on where they're like, oh, yes, you know, we, we originally planned to, to name the new Robin Jeff, but it ended up being changed to Tim, and they just never corrected that panel accidental sting that i don't think tim intended or the writers but just like you know if you think too much about comics like we obviously do do you think it was like, kind of harsh where like you know I, I can't remember if it was alfred or dick and they're like you know i think it was alfred is like you know do you have parents you know like well you know we should just send you to them and it's like yeah i have a mom and dad you know like you know, dick is just like oh <laughs> Well, I think it was more said in a tone yeah. of like, "Do you have parents so we can ship you off to them?" Like, yeah. like don't don't you have somewhere better to be than here? Like that kind of thing. I mean, it, it's interesting because because he gets a lot of flack, but I think I think Tim as a character wins those those other characters over through sheer force of his personality. That he's intelligent. He's he's thoughtful. You know, it, it it's he's funny because. Because he's yeah. basically everything Jason Todd wasn't, you know, like kind of, yeah. you know, in a way, you he know, like the, caps off the Batmobile. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I do need to say just just to get this kind of thing off my chest because it was something I had always always pointed to, and you you mentioned how on the closed circuit TV and 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 Tim Drake was watching it, I think on the news or something, you know, where where you know Dick Grayson does the quadruple somersault and they're fighting the penguin and that's how he pieces together who Batman and Robin are, that they're Dick Grayson and and Bruce Wayne. And like that is why I could never take the whole like years down the road when they went into this whole editorial mandate that like Batman's an urban legend and a myth and only certain <laughs> yeah. people know he's around. I was like, 
He was on fucking TV. Like, how could he be an urban myth? For years, he was a cop. Like in your sh- like in your story, he's like he's known by the populace. Yeah, I was just like that doesn't make any sense. But you know, I, I it always cracked me up that like Tim Drake's origin hinges on the fact that Batman is absolutely not an urban legend. You know, like like Tim saw him at the circus. You know, he's on TV. Like, I mean, it's like, well, oh, that, that was just some urban myth you made up, Tim. You know, it's like, no, like, so, yeah, yeah. It's just like that. That part always like sort of cracked me up. I, I've always sort of hated that whole, you know, Batman's an urban legend thing. And and I do want to say I totally agree with you about the whole when he makes that sort of Freudian slip when he's saving those twins and everything, and he. He Freudiantly slips and calls one of them Jason, and then he has that moment where he's like, "Oh God, oh God," you know. And it's like, I don't, I don't think you'd ever see something like that in the Batman comic today. You know, I don't think he'd be allowed to be that vulnerable. You know, like, I mean, or you know, I mean, I, I think that was part of the story was he was, like Tony was saying, he was kind of losing it a little bit. You know, he, he you know, they they have the kind of mantra where, you know. The, the line he would used to say to Dick Grayson, you know, we think with our heads, not with our fists type thing. And, 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 you know, that's repeated a number of times, you know, trying to be like the whole uncle Ben thing or something like that, which, you know, it didn't take off as much, but the, the idea is, you know, basically that Batman was not really following his own teachings, you know, and, and, and that's how far he had come, you know, based on, you know what had happened and and how Jason's death had affected him and everything and you know I I always thought that that always had long-reaching implications I mean even all the way up until Nightfall which was like years later I mean it still had a big impact on him and everything so and then you, you know what I noticed this time and this is just me trying to make like connections and stuff but I mean I did sort of reread the whole story just to have the, the framework for it, you know, because I hadn't read it and like, like all these stories, it's kind of funny, but I haven't read all these in many years, even though I was actively collecting and reading Batman at the time for, for when all these comics came out. But in the later part of Lonely Place of Dying, Nightwing and Batman, along with Tim in the Robin outfit, track Two-Face down to this building. And when they walk inside the building, it's like, Batman is in the basement, but he's on, like, the top floor. I, I forget how it goes. But basically, the, the point is, like, when Dick Grayson as Nightwing goes in through the basement, everything is upside down. And and I was just kind of like, y- you know, in the, the Killing Joke direct-to-video, instead of going through the mirror funhouse, like, they had that sequence with him and the Joker fighting, and the yeah. room was turned topsy-turvy. And I was kind of like, I wonder if they got that from this. Because that wasn't really in the Killing Joke graphic yeah. novel. So, yeah, and I was kind of like, I mean, it made more sense as a Two-Face thing, like, because he's like, oh, the basement is the second floor, and it's all topsy-turvy. Yeah, it's like a floor is basement, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, and it was supposed to be all clever, clever, but... You know, I, I don't know what that has to do with, you know, I guess they just thought it looked cool or something in the animated thing. But, you know, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. But, I mean, and, and, and I'll go to bat for you as far as Jim Aparo goes, being a, you know, a classic penultimate Batman artist and everything. I mean, definitely. You, you know, it's funny. Like, I know a lot of people kind of, it, it feels weird because I feel like... the 
when when most people say Jim Aparo kind of lost his groove or whatever is when I feel like I came into reading Batman. So I, I don't know that I've yeah. ever looked at it that way. But even even if if that's something that is an opinion that is widely held, I mean, so, sometimes I always question whether it's like not so much Jim Aparo, but maybe you know, depending on what anchors he had or you know who he was collaborating with. It, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a John Romita Senior thing. It's like you know, when you look at his pencils, you know, there's going to be like newer fans who are going to be like, oh, why is he so like revered? Why do people like him? And I'm like, well, it depends on who he's working with, you know. And I think, you know, especially during this issue, he had a great anchor, and like the the comic flowed really well. The action was great, and yeah, I, I don't I don't understand the whole Jim Aparo lost his group. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it depends like on issue to issue. I mean, I can understand the comment. I mean, I I don't know that I'd say that this issue really qualifies as that. But, I, I mean, I can understand people kind of looking back on things like his work on Brave and the Bold and yeah. kind of going, oh, that's, that's you know, yeah, yeah. Jim Aparo at the top of his game or whatever. And this this might not be. But, Derek, you know this. How, how long was Aparo a uh, uh, Batman penciler? He did it for a long time. Yeah, he did it for a long-ass time. I mean, if you count, I mean, if you count Brave and the Bold, he did it for, like, almost, what, like 20 Twenty something years. I mean, a long. Yeah. I mean, not not consecutively, but a long ass time. Yeah. And at some point, I mean, you know, sorry, reality. You know, this does happen. Even if you're a great artist, you know, this will happen to Jim Lee. This will happen to like people we love today. Some of your skills deteriorate a little bit. It happens. Everybody will look like they're taking a grump when they're drawn. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> But no, I mean, and it, it, it's nothing against him. You know, there, there's actually been some George Perez artwork in recent years that, you know, isn't quite up to a standard. Is it still miles beyond a lot of people? Yes. Beyond anything I could do, God damn yes. But, you know, it's like when you get older, I mean, it's just it's, things happen. Your, your hand cramps up. You're trying to push out, you know, panels and stuff, you know, so... You know, as far as Aparo goes, you know, yeah, I, I have heard that criticism before. That, like, you know, his later bits of his run or, you know, his fill-ins or his, you know, specials. He wasn't, you know, the Jim Aparo we knew. And I'm like, dude, I mean, you, you get old. I mean, fuck, look at Frank Miller. Some of his fucking artwork looks like shit now. And, I mean, I love Frank Miller, you know. Some of his writing is complete shit. And I love Frank Miller. <laughs> it's, like, it's just, you know, when you get older... You, you, well, you know, I, I guess the best way to say it is you either go crazy or you just, you know, kind of lose it a little bit as far as your ability because, you know, age is it's, it's a thing. However, this comic, though, great Aparo stuff. This, this is, this is top notch Aparo work. I love his Two Face. He, he probably draws my favorite Two Face. I and I know it's the colors too because they give him the green face, but I have always hated the, like, the, the pink, fleshy Two Face. I, I like my Two-Face look like a mutant. I can't help it. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're like, I want my Two-Face with a green face and polyester, like, yeah, messed up hat. Yeah, yeah. Orange, and, orange and purple, baby. You know, And I love Batman anime series, but even that, I've grown to love it as I, like, watch the series because it didn't make sense. But I don't know. There's just certain, like, looks, you know, like the penguin. The, the, the penguin he drew, even in a flashback, that's, that's the Oswald Cobblepot we all know. You know, that's the Superpowers Cobblepot, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is a, a great introduction to Tim, and 
like you said, a, a fun issue that that specifically focuses on Two Face, and and if you really want it to, obviously, you know, the Joker gets a bunch of mad love behind the scenes there as well. So I mean, there's yeah. there's plenty of stuff in here for for a, a Batman fan to appreciate. You know, Batman, Nightwing, Tim Drake. I mean, all kinds of now. I mean, classic seminal characters. I mean, even though this was something that you and I read off the stands, you know, I I, I dare say this is a, you know, a, a, a classic Batman storyline. Yeah, must read. Yeah, you know, and and then even to what you were saying too is is, yes, it is part three of a five part storyline, but it's a meaty part three that kind of tells its own story as well before it kind of entices you to go off and read something else. So there is something to be said for that as far as, as I, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I know, I know sometimes you've got the Bruce Timms of the world saying, you know, certain comic books are unfilmable or Watchmen is unfilmable, whoever the fuck said that and you know, all these things, but (laughs) you know, like there's, I don't know, like, wh- whether this comic is unfilmable or not, I don't really give a shit. I just give a shit that, like, if I sit down to read it, it's going to take me a good couple, you know, uh, you know, 10 to 15 minutes to kind of soak everything in and read it, and it's not going to be one of these modern-day, you know, wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, I'm done with a six-part storyline in three minutes, because, and, and they all cost, you know, $4 a pop or something like that, so, <laughs> I mean, to me, there's there's something to be said for that as well. Yeah, Justin, did you think this was, like, a really good introduction to Tim Drake, or any final thoughts before we, we do move on to yours? Yeah, I thought this was a really good introduction to Tim. Much like you guys said, like, I think, I think Tim was a really big deal, and you know, even though I'm a, a bit younger than you guys, I kind of felt like the same things that you felt about Tim, that like you were kind of doing some of the same things that he was, whether it's like trying to get, you know, get your driver's license or, you know, you were like trying to ask out this girl and, you know, trying to think of like things to say to her while you were on a date and, and going to the movies. Like I identified with Tim in those same ways. And it was always like what I always appreciated a lot about comics, whether it was Generation X or, you know, Tim Drake having these struggles was I always liked when you had teenagers or characters that were within your age range and they acted like real people because it, it, it's so easy to like take the you know, take the low road and kind of write young people as being you know jerks like that's that's so easy <laughs> and, it's, uh, and so, sometimes it's deserved I, I, like I remember being a smart ass like you know teenager and you know if you you know if i had read you know some comic where there was a smart ass teenager i might have got grumpy depending on what it was but i like i like i said i always appreciated those comics that would you know like they knew like peter david always thought could write a really good you know kind of like teenager or young adult like you know they some writers they know the audience they're writing to and they can give you the references that whatever like teenagers are into, they can give those references and they don't feel forced at all. And I like, I, I always appreciated that with, you know, certain writers, but, but like I said, I really enjoyed this comic and, you know, I'd read it, you know, a long time ago and I'll, I'll talk about Robin and Tim maybe a little bit more when I discuss my comic. I'm like, you know what they do to smart ass teenagers <laughs> in a Batman comic, right? They now come up for death on a 1-900 number and everybody <laughs> fucking votes them to death. You know what's funny? I've, I've heard people talk about this and, and some people on podcasts have said, yeah, I called in. I called in to kill him and all this other stuff. You know what's funny? Like, I know I called that number, but I, I called 
to keep him alive. So, mm. I mean, I, I was, I obviously, I was not on the winning side that day. It's really funny. I heard that, like, you know, it was a landslide, you know, oh, we're going to kill Jason. But if you look at the actual numbers, it wasn't that big of a margin. Yeah, I think, I think for a while there, they didn't think it was going to happen. Like, it was really neck and neck. And then all of a sudden, there was just that slight bump of, you know, whatever it was, a couple, like, what, like 50 votes or whatever it was to... To bump them off. Yeah, yeah, it it really wasn't that much, you know. I think a lot of people like Jason Todd, and you know, I mean, I haven't read a lot of Jason Todd stories. I know he had issues with Two Face too, but like you know, all in all, he wasn't a bad Robin. I think people did kind of. I, I think the best way to say this is like what Justin said. You know, he was portrayed as this punky teenager, and sometimes he would come off as a teenager you could relate to. But sometimes he would be too punky, too, like, you know, I'm going to stab this guy's neck because that's what teenagers do. And it's like, what the fuck are you writing, guys? Come on, you know? You know, what's interesting is, you know, mentioning that and, you know, thinking about Derek's pick for a comic, like, they, they kind of have similarities. It's like there is this weird, like, voyeuristic kind of feeling like, I mean, I, I certainly was too young to call, but, like, just just imagine if they did something like that today where you could, I, I guess you would text or tweet or whatever now you know but like yeah vote in to kill a, someone yeah like there's a certain like if you think about it it's like there's a certain kind of weird mentality to that like you're you're calling to kill off a character and then in several months you may or may not see that character killed like that's kind of it's kind of weird if you think about it or at least it is to me like just thinking back on Derek's very comic meta, and, yeah and all the things in it, like, that's kind of, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I can see the parallels in that. As far as I know, it was, it was one and done. They never did that before. They never asked for you to call in and kill somebody ever again. Do, do you remember if you did that at all, Tony? Like, because I, I know I did, and I voted for him to live. Do you remember if you, because Justin's saying he was too young, and he didn't call in at all. Do you remember doing that or not? Actually, if I remember correctly... I voted, I called it, because it, 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 was, it was not one vote per phone, because they didn't have the kind of technology back then. You just call in and vote. And I do remember I called in once, and I voted for him to die. <laughs> but then I felt really bad, and I called three more times <laughs> for him to live. And it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> I felt like an asshole. I was like, oh, I don't hate Jason Todd that much. It was, like, it, it was one of those issues that just like came out before, like, you know, the, the you know, death in the family. Where he was being kind of like, like I said, he, he was, the biggest problem with Jason Todd, and let's go ahead and just put this on the table, he's written very inconsistently. He was a troubled teen, and he was like supposed to be sympathetic because he had issues. He grew up on the streets, he was like, you know, he had kind of a similar story to Batman and Robin, the original Robin, but they, they portrayed him more as a loose cannon. And sometimes that can work if you write him sympathetic, but then again, sometimes they wrote him like the Red Hood now, you know, where he's like, you know, crime must be destroyed, I will kill them. And when they did that, it made him a lot less sympathetic. You know, it was like, he, he, they, when they turn him bloodthirsty for a couple of issues, and then, like, he goes back and he's like, oh, I shouldn't have wanted to step that guy's neck. I'm sorry, let's get hot chocolate. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing with Jason Todd? <laughs> you know, if he'd been consistent, I would have been okay with him. If he'd been, like, you know, even if he'd been bloodthirsty, I could, at least I know I have a handle on this character. And I think that's why Tim Drake really rose above Jason Todd as far as why people liked him, because Tim Drake was always Tim Drake. 
I don't know if like the editorial staff like figured out what they were doing, but his character never deviated from like you know a certain you know archetype that they set for him. They're like, we're going to write this character like this. He's going to be this kind of guy, and we're not going to like change it. We're not going to fuck with it. We're going to make him this kind of guy. Well, it would probably help that the creative staff and editorial and everything they were all behind this robin and they wanted to make him work and then when you know he took off in his own miniseries and obviously was a money maker like that was something that that probably spoke to everybody whether they were creative people behind the character or just suits that are like hey larry get us some more robin action figures and all that other stuff you know like but i think you know maybe jason todd I, I would kind of gamble that maybe Jim Starlin didn't feel like having a Robin in his Batman run and tried to make Jason kind of an asshole. Kind of make him an ass. You know, like that that, that, that might be my, my kind of speculation. But, you know, like, like you're saying, I mean, obviously, you know, between pre-crisis and post-crisis, like Jason Todd wasn't exactly the same character. And, and even after that point, you know, there, there were they, they were still... They were still trying to find their footing post-crisis with that character and what he was supposed to be and what he would represent. And before they, you know, really gave it enough time to breathe. Like, I always feel that way about, like, stuff with, like, even The Flash, where I know when they tried to make Bart Allen The Flash, I mean, they gave it a year and then they fucking killed him and all this other shit. And it was just like, man, if that was Wally West, like, can you imagine if they just decided, <laughs> you know what, Wally West, you're not doing it after the first 12 issues. Let's kill your ass, you know? And it was just like, geez, like, I mean, you know, Wally needed a lot of time to breathe and sort of find himself too. And I think maybe while Wally West got that chance, you know, I, I don't think people like either Bart Allen in his own series or you know, Jason Todd really got those, you, you know, he, he didn't get the, the seven seasons of Star Trek to get to the really good fourth and fifth seasons. You know, he just got the, the Enterprise four seasons or the original series three seasons. <laughs> and it's like, you are canceled, you know, and that was it. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M.D. Mateus. We'll be going issue by issue in release order tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red, Captain Adam, Mr. Miracle, Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Nort, and many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, well, Justin brought Detective Comics. 647, and I'm going to let him take it away and go into the nitty-gritty details. As Derek said, my issue is Detective 647. The story is called Inquiring Minds. It was written by Chuck Dixon, illustrated by Tom Lyle, and we have a really nice cover by Matt Wagner. The story is we see Arthur Brown once the costume criminal known as the Clue Master. He's declared cured of his criminal psychosis and paroled from Blackgate. In truth, though, 
Brown has merely been cured of his compulsion to send clues to the authorities. His criminal instincts remain strong as ever, and he quickly dons his old costume and seeks out a new gang to commit robberies through. Brown's intelligence leads to a string of successful heists, and true to his word, none of them are foreshadowed with his trademark clues. Meanwhile, former district attorney Armand Kroll launches his mayoral campaign based mainly around condemning Commissioner Gordon and the police department for relying on costumed vigilantes. Ironically, one of Kroll's speeches inspires a blonde teenage girl to begin a vigilante career of her own, beginning with foiling Brown's future heist by sending clues of her own to the police. The constant stream of clues eventually attracts attention from Batman and Robin, who confront Brown but fail to find any evidence of wrongdoing. Nevertheless, this confrontation causes Brown's new gang to become suspicious, forcing Brown to kill their former leader in order to maintain control. Now the undisputed leader of the gang, Brown vows to kill not only Batman and Robin, but also the imposter clue master who threatens to ruin everything, as Brown rants a mysterious figure in a purple hooded cloak watches silently. And I should point out this issue is also the first appearance of Spoiler, a.k.a. Stephanie Brown, daughter of the Clue Master. I, I said I would talk about Robin a bit more. Um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but when I was a kid, probably one of the first superhero action figures I had was the superpowers karate chop action Robin. Yeah. Coming from the farthest reaches of the universe to challenge the worst villains on Earth are the most powerful heroes ever in the Battle of the Superpowers Collection. What's this? The dam's about to blow and take Robin with it? Who'll stop the Joker and Luther? Aquaman! Kenner's new Superpowers Collection figures with power action, each sold separately with its own mini-comic. Aquaman's down! Who can help now? A power ring, a power action punch. Defuse the bomb! Can this madness be stopped in time? You like eight? It was actually it was actually quite a while before I had my first Batman figure. Like I don't I don't think I had an actual Batman action figure until, you know, eighty eight when the Tim Burton film came out. So for the longest time, like I, I had Robin and I had Superpowers Mr. Freeze. And they fought constantly. And a lot of the times, you know, you'd have me as a little kid that would be sitting very close to the T V watching the Adam West series with my Robin, with my Mr. Freeze. And, you know, sometimes I would try and recreate fights on the show if they were fighting Mr. Freeze, Mr. Zero, whatnot. And I can remember, you know, just playing with those figures, you know, constantly. So, like, I, I've always had an interest in Robin. This, it, you know, it doesn't matter who is actually in the costume, whether it's Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Damien Wayne, you know, whoever. Like, I've, I've always been interested in, you know, like the... The character of Robin and and who's in this it's because you know for the longest time that was one of my you know my only superhero figures and well, you know, much like you guys say like Tim Gray was a a really great character and I I remember I'll admit like I I did not purchase this issue I burned stole it there there was a particular Piggly Wiggly that had every bat book and every Superman title. They had a really nice selection of DC comics, whereas, like, there, there were two Piggly Wigglies, like, in my area, and one of them had, like, it, uh, it always seemed one had more, you know, Marvel books, and one had more DC books. Uh, mostly, I would just stand around, you know, wait for my mom to get done shopping, and 
I would burn still all the Batman and Superman books. And every every now and then I would I would buy one. Like I remember actually buying quite a few of the you know the Reign of the Superman storyline from that store. But yeah, I've always been interested in Robin. And like I I I had not read this issue in quite some time. And I think it's interesting to kind of to look at it now and also to see it's it's the first appearance of spoiler. I sat down and read the next two issues after this because this is actually a three-part story. And the next issue, we actually see Stephanie Brown. She gets into this fight with Robin. Like, Robin chases her from the rooftops. He ends up, like, ripping her mask off, and she smacks him in the head, like, with a brick. I remember, like, Burns stealing that issue, too. And, like, the thing that I, like, remembered was I think I was at that age where I was starting to pick up on, like, tropes in like TV or movie or, or, you know, comic books. And I was like, oh, she hit him and they're fighting. I bet they're going to like date or kiss or something. Like I remember thinking of that. And it's, it's funny <laughs> to look at it now because, you know, like, you know they, they totally became a couple. And as far as I yeah, know, they even had a pregnancy scare, if I remember right. I, I remember reading the, uh, Robin ongoing quite a bit because I like, you know, Tim Drake and Robin. But yeah, it always seemed like when you were reading like the Robin monthly title, like you you never really got a you know complete story. It was always continued into something else, and and sometimes you'd be lucky, and you know the the issue of Batman or Catwoman would be there. But in, in my case, it seemed like it was really there. Like it was, you know, I, I would always just kind of wonder, be like, wonder what happened with that. Like, you know, I, you know, clearly clearly Tim survived his battle with the KGBs, but I wonder like. How did he survive? Like, what? how did that happen? The, another thing that, like, you know, I, I pointed out, like, this is the first appearance of a spoiler. And I kind of, like, clued in, you know, not, you know, haha, punny, punny, pun. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 I did kind of, like, latch onto her. Like, I don't, with this first issue, like, I don't think it was completely clear to me that she was spoiler, which it's totally clear in the next issue. Like, it's blatantly obvious but like i think in this issue yeah, I remember... if you read it for the first time it, 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 it is it's, it's like hinted at maybe if you're really cl- quick and clever but yeah it's never like you know like oh this is this is his daughter yeah 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 i, I remember like reading robin quite a lot and whenever stephanie showed up i was kind of you know it, you know it had it had my attention a bit more because i was always interested in like you know like their dynamic because you know she you know Tim knew who she was, but she, for the longest time, like, didn't know who Tim was, and she was always kind of, like, frustrated by that, and I, I remember kind of, like, thinking that was an interesting dynamic. Right before the New 52, we had a really great Batman book where Stephanie became Batgirl. That was a really great book, and, we, you know, we, yeah. we also had Tim Drake became Red Robin, which I thought, like, both of those books were really great, and I know, like, I, I know I've said this on a very old podcast but like there were some casualties when the new 52 was launched and sadly like we lost you know like a really great red robin book and we lost a really great stephanie brown as batgirl book like i i really enjoyed both of those books but yeah like i i've always been interested in robin no matter who is in the costume since reading this comic way back in the day i went back and read you know a number of like older stories and i've read some of the jason todd stuff too and you know i kind of i like those issues i mean he's you know of course, he's a jerk, but you know that's the point. He's, you know, he's, he's a jerk, but he's our jerk. Even though, like some of you, some of you listeners maybe uh, called in to kill him. You know, like like I said, I'm your I, jerk. <laughs> you know, like I said, I think I think when that, you know, call to kill or say Robin, like I think I was probably 
six years old. So, like, that was probably a little... You're like, Joe! <laughs> I, I think I was, at that point, 37, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, no, just to be perfectly honest, I mean, when, when the call stuff was going on, I was, what, like, maybe... 12, 13. 11 or 12, something like that. Yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. and when this, this issue came out, I was probably, I probably had a pull list from, like, my local shop that was like a walk down the street from my high school. Yeah, I, I, I was a comic reader by then. Yeah, yeah, I, I was yeah getting getting my my pull sheet and doing my doing my stuff. Yeah. You know, one one thing I'll say about this is even though it's a great cover and it's by Matt Wagner, who was obviously a lauded individual in the industry, and and there's nothing really bad to be said about the cover. I I do sort of feel like the three covers for this story are so generic like that I you know unless you somehow had it memorized like I, I don't think had I saw these Matt Wagner covers I would have been like oh yeah the three-parter was spoiler and clue master that Tom Lyle drew you know like I, I think it, it kind of reminds me of like when you know even when Kelly Jones was on the book you know it's like the, these kind of covers that are almost you know kind of like the, the the common complaint for covers today where they're all just poster images, or maybe one of them is halfway decent for the trade, and the other ones are just kind of afterthoughts. Yeah, you, you've got, like, Batman and Robin sitting on a ledge, Batman and Robin flying through the air, Batman and Robin standing. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's pretty much it. And, and that's, that's pretty much ba all there is to it. Ba basically, Derek's saying is, my, my cover is better than your cover, Justin. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, no, but it's, it, it's just one of those things where, like, if you look at the Norm Brayfogel cover and you look at... The George Perez cover, you, it tells a story, and the story is somewhat reflected within the pages of the comic book. Whereas if you look at the Matt Wagner stuff, it's great. It's technically perfect. It's like a great art piece, but it's probably something he got tons of money for, hopefully, because he kept the original it, and like a, sold one like after poster or something. Yeah, and it's not like you, you, you know, kind of. There, I don't know. There doesn't seem to be any story behind those images, you know. Like it's just, it's just Tim Drake and and Batman kicking it somewhere, you know, whether it's a ledge or a or a building or standing <laughs> up or or whatever. But that that is something that I sort of noticed about that. The the, the interiors. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It is. It's great. And I just feel like when I used to go through my my collection and my old long boxes it was like there was this point where you look at all these covers and go oh yeah that's the one where batman did the snuff film and got beat up and oh yeah that's the one where batman you know and and nightwing and tim drake you know all got together and fought two-face or whatever but then like you look at this one and you're like oh yeah that's the one that you know i don't, I, I don't know what happened in that one and then you open it up and you're like oh yeah you know, this is what happened. And that, that's kind of what I felt like when I was revisiting it. Because I was like, okay, I remember the cover. I don't remember what it's about. And then when I started looking into it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is like when Spoiler first showed up and everything. And, and they tried to make Clue Master a badass again or whatever. Or maybe a badass for the first time. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that to uh, Justin. Is like, this is like before Underworld Unleashed. And Clue Master, I don't know how much of a badass he is because we do have more of a story that you all should read. But this this issue especially, he comes off pretty legit. You know, he's like kind of uh, unhinged. He's spent time in Blackgate, not Arkham Asylum, Blackgate. 
And he's not a guy with superpowers. And he had a, a psychosis where he wanted to leave clues, kind of like the Riddler. And he got cured of that. And he, he actually does leave clues. It's Stephanie Brown doing that to like frame him because she's like pissed at her dad. And I thought that was that was a really cool twist. I thought that was kind of fun. That's why she's the spoiler. Ha <laughs> ha. I think this kind of reminds me of. Have you guys ever read Dark Knight, Dark City? It, it's a. It's. I have not. It's 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 a. I, I forget exactly which issues it is. I think it's in the four forties. But basically, it came out not too long after like the Batman movie was popular and everything. And I think it was an attempt to sort of make the Riddler a quote-unquote real threat for Batman. Like, he wasn't just going to, like, tell riddles and stuff. And he really kind of went all, like, Silence of the Lambsy, where he was, like, doing these, like, blood rituals and stuff. And you're just kind of like, not only do I tell riddles, but I, like, slit chickens' throats and shit and whatever. <laughs> you know, like, like they're... I kill teenagers. How you doing? You know, and it's like, so I'm serious ors or whatever. You know, it was like supposed to be all heavy and stuff. And like partly like, and, and this was something I was going to like sort of tell Justin or whatever. But like, I kind of feel like, you know, I, I, I don't have any disparaging memories of this. Like, actually, there, there are a lot of good memories. I mean, Chuck Dixon was always like a great Batman writer and Tom Lyle had great pencils and everything. But I do remember having that weird kind of kick in the gut or whatever regarding clue master because and and this is just based on my first impressions of clue master which basically come from the whole wahaha justice league international you know slash i guess in this case you you might spell it out but say justice league antarctica era of the justice league where you know clue master <laughs> was part of the you know, Injustice Gang, which eventually went on to be the Justice League Antarctica with, like, Major Disaster and Big Sur and, you know, Clock King. And, Sorry. you know, it was just, like, one of those things where he, he was kind of played for gags. I mean, he was a former game show host turned evils. You know, like, that that was the whole shtick. And, and, and you know, a, a lot of those books were played for for the gag. You know, so I think seeing this where, I mean, it's very definitive what Dixon is doing. It's basically like he was in Blackgate. He wants everybody to think he's a reformed criminal, but in reality, he's, he's over his psychosis and he's plotting another big score and to wrest control of this gang, you know, he kills the leader who's been questioning him the whole time. And I mean, he straight up just kills him. And so in that sense, it's very much trying to establish, look, he's not, you know, whatever happened in that Bwahaha thing, like, that's not what's happening your here. Clue, you master. know, and, and it, it was a, you know, clearly it was a calculated move on, on Chuck Dixon's part, you know, to sort of separate it from that era. But I, again, I think for, for me, there, there was that moment where I was kind of like, well, wait a minute, like. Clue Master just hangs out and parties with the Justice League. Why is he killing people? <laughs> you know, like I, I, I remember I did have I did have that sort of moment where well, you know, and obviously I got over it, but but there was that kind of moment that that I wondered like, well, how, how did he go from just hanging out with the Justice League to 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 this? Well, I mean. Well, I, I would agree with Justin. It's like, you know, as far as this being a spoiler thing, I'm not saying spoiler for spoiler spoilers, but I'm saying spoiler of the character. I, I think they had to build some kind of character. And 
one of the things I really love is when they go back into the mythos. And yeah, Clue Master is kind of a schlub. But if you want to make spoiler important, you have to make Clue Master important. But with like Clue Master, you have a schlub. You know, he's like he's like someone who is not taken seriously. And he is made more serious for this, you know, arc to make Stephanie Brown seem like a legit, you know, hero. And I gotta I gotta say, I'll give you fist bumps twice on this side, Justin. Spoiler, like, Stephanie Brown, I love the fact that she became Batgirl, but the spoiler costume is a great costume. It looks really cool. She, she She's kind of ninja kind of huntress-y, just a really cool costume. I've, I've always liked, like, her as spoiler. I, I really would like her to just be spoiler. Well, then you, you've got your wish, because in the, you know, Rebirth era, like, she's totally back as spoiler. Oh, okay, well, that's cool. Were, were you pissed at A... Them killing Stephanie Brown and then B bringing her back for a kind of lame thing, like Black Mask killed her, and then she just brought back by uh, uh, what's uh, what's the fucking nurse that Batman always goes to? Well, she wasn't brought back, but Leslie Tompkins apparently. It, 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 it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a fake out. It was a fake out. Well, yeah, I mean that that was me, you know, giving Chuck Dixon a standing ovation for rescuing his <laughs> character from. Stupid death at the hands of Judd Winnick's dumb face and whoever else was responsible for war games. It's funny, like, I had forgotten, like, how pissed off I was when that came out. That was back when, like, I'd read comics and, and I, I was, I would actively, like, go to bars, get drunk, and, like, like rant and rave about what happened that week or whatever because <laughs> it pissed me off so much. And, like, you know, I, I, I remember war games. I hated fucking war games. And I was like, how could they do that to fucking Stephanie Brown? And they just fucking callously murdered her and all this other shit. And, oh, this story is crap and it doesn't make sense. And Batman ignores her and, you know, being bat dick. And, like, I mean, that, that storyline is everything I sort of despised about modern era batman whether it's like bat god i'm all oh he's got bat god prep time but he can't save a little girl from getting beat to death by fucking some asshole in a suit you know like you know just just things like that that like drove me nuts but on on a sort of happy note like looking at these stories i mean obviously i wouldn't have gotten so upset if there wasn't a strong connection with the character you know that 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 you enjoyed when she first showed up and her relationship with tim drake and you know that kind of connection that if you didn't love the character you wouldn't hate it so much when they they murdered her and of course i i sort of love when characters like re-retcon stupid shit especially when i think it's stupid so i always i always (laughs) sort of applaud that whether it's you know fabian nicieza you know re-retconning what happened in Mark Millar's stupid thing to Baron Von Strucker in Enemy of the State, where he re-retcons it in New Thunderbolts. is like, that was not me, that was some other dumbass, you know? And you're like, great, yay! <laughs> you know, and, and basically, like, that's kind of what happened with Stephanie Brown, where it's like, that was not me, that was some other dumbass that Black Mask killed. Yeah! Sometimes you need a more, a more talented writer to come in and fix your bullshit that sucks. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and I think Chuck Dixon had a vested interest, obviously. Spoiler was his baby, and then somebody took his baby and, like, fucking raped and killed it in some other storyline for whatever kicks and giggles, kind of like maybe what we're talking about with the whole voyeurism you know whatever in detective comics and that first yeah. story you know they, they it was very yeah. i mean it seemed to be in that era of 
hostile and torture porn and all that other stuff, and they really went out of their way to make Black Mask like that sort of nemesis that, you know, it's like he was the type of guy who who got his jollies off doing that. And then when they did it to a essentially a beloved character, I mean, everybody felt really... I, I don't know. I may, maybe I'm speaking for too many people. Yeah. I, I, I misquoted, by the way. Uh, I said I, I said she turned into Batgirl. She turned into Robin. Yeah, and she was a good Robin. Yeah, she was a good Robin. Yeah, she was she was Robin in that. So there was that aspect to it as well. And yeah, but I, I mean, I I think I just enjoyed when Chuck Dixon was able to sort of re-retcon it back, where it's like, oh no, she <laughs> she didn't die. Okay. Like she was just she was just resting and hanging out with Leslie Tompkins and that's it, you know? And, and, and also to me too, like what was great about that was I think in war games, I mean, I thought it really, you know, not to get into a rant or a tirade about war games, but I thought it really soiled Leslie Tompkins character as well. You know, like it seemed like she was kind of had this black stain on her soul, you know, because of what happened and like the way that Dixon was able to, basically re-retcon that back like not only did he save his his baby character you know and i don't say that in a uh in a disparaging way i just mean that he, no, cre- no, he created that character as his, his baby his right you know and that yeah. that you know but but on top of that he also kind of redeemed <laughs> just, leslie just like just like george perez loved triathlon <laughs> <laughs> yeah just like george perez loved fucking jericho anyway <laughs> Yeah, fucking Cole. Anyway, sorry. So, <laughs> so like it's like only I can draw. Next time, spin back. Teen Titans, guys. <laughs> only I can draw these characters, and everybody else who tries to draw them will draw them like shit. Yeah, I, I I just thought it was great that he was able to actually like sort of salvage Leslie Tompkins too, because if if they had kept going in that direction with her that they did in War Games, I think she would have been an utterly reprehensible supporting character to me so and i i don't think i could have abided that but yeah that but it's funny how like those you know thinking about spoiler in general like you go through all these ebbs and flows so it's like i remember the happy days of like tim and stephanie like being together and then i remember like the low days of like stephanie getting murdered in torture porn with like fucking black mask and then i remember like the highs again of chuck dixon going no that shit didn't happen it was all bullshit and going yay chuck dixon yay and then and then of course like what what justin was saying you know seeing her in her own title as as batgirl you know like that was that was really great as well yeah that's where i got confused she's like yeah batgirl now i think the art in this really pops the colors are really bright and vibrant which is really weird for the story they're telling but Clue Master looks amazing. Spoiler looks amazing. And even like the, the, the random hired thugs had kind of a life to them. And I, I, I like that. It's like they didn't look just like hired thugs. You know, he looked like he was going to be important. But no, he's not. It, this is Clue Master's game. And the, the art, even though with the bright colors, Tim Drake looks amazing. Uh, this is like him in his full, like, you know, Batman the Animated Series glory. Even though that was Dick Grayson, they... By the way, if you didn't know this, guys, they pretty much gave Tim Drake's costume to Dick Grayson in Batman the Animated Series. It looks amazing. It looks really good. I, 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 I appreciate the art in this. It looks so striking and stuff. It's, like, very colorful, which is different for a Batman comic. You know, the purple and blue of spoiler 
great. She's got this kind of ninja gear and stuff like that. And, like, you know, no offense. I know she's underage at this time in the comic, but I was underage at this comic when this came out, so it's okay. She has a great ass. She's really hot when she's, like, you know, talking to her mom and stuff. I'm like, Stephanie Brown is cute. She's aged with me, guys, so it's okay. It's not illegal. We were both teenagers when this came out. <laughs> we're both adults now. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, yeah, the, the art was really good in this. I, it, it was very clean lines. You know, you mentioned the artist, Justin. Who was it? Tom Lyle. Tom Lyle? Yeah, yeah. He did a really good job. I, I, Clue Master looked more menacing than I've ever seen him. I, I had a good time, like, looking at this in terms of the artist, too, because I sort of forgot, you know, how how much, how many different books he worked on and touched that I actively read on a month-to-month basis. I mean, he he worked on Robin, obviously, on, on like all those different yeah. miniseries in the heyday of Tim Drake's popularity. And then, you know, he was also doing detective comics here, but then he would go on to work on, like, Spider-Man, the, the adjectiveless Spider-Man, like, after, like, Todd McFarlane and Eric Larson, you know, left the book. Like, he, he, he did yeah. some arcs on those... He did, like, a whole run on The Punisher, which I thought was cool because it was, like, after he... Uh, I, I forget what era you call it, but I, I think I'd refer to it as, like, Volume 3 or whatever, where he was, like, running around, you know, with a ponytail and stuff like that. Yeah, pre-Frankencastle, pre yeah. Well, yeah, every, everything's pre-Frankencastle. <laughs> but, yeah, another book that, that I have a lot of connection to that happens before any of these is like the the Starman book from the 80s the late 80s and and he got his start oh, the, 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 yeah, will the will pay with the orange yeah yeah the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the what they call like the peanut butter and jelly Starman you know the the, <laughs> the will Payton Starman like he he worked on that book as well so like you know even back then you know he was working on like Batman stuff when like Batman would guest star in that book and meet Will Payton and stuff, so, I mean, you know, it just, it just made me think of, like, all the great, you know, cherished memories I have of, of books that, that Tom Lyle touched, so that was, that was something that was cool as well to sort of, you know, sort of mentally revisit, you know, as, as, as I was reading Back this. in time. Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, Justin, this is your baby. Why, why did you pick this one? Why did this make you, like, just say, hey, like, like just like me, Derek, you son of a bitch, yours is a one-off. But me and Justin picked ones that are actually part of a ongoing story. Well, mine was kind of a two-parter, but I just picked the conclusion, so... Yeah, yeah and mine, and, and, mine was a two-parter, so, and I just kind of, like, happened to pick the first part. Did it just speak to you because it has Stephanie Brown? Or, like you said, with Robin, was that, like, why you were, like, also interested in it? Because, like, Robin doesn't show up a lot in this, but he, he does, like, you know, contribute, obviously. So I guess to be perfectly honest, like, this is more of, like, a Clue Master story because he has the bulk of the story. And you, you kind of see Batman and Robin just a little bit. And then we, you know, spoiler and, you know, Stephanie Brown, like, doing doing her own thing. As to why I picked this, like, I... You know, Derek was talking about the cover and, you know, it being unremarkable. Like, you know, when when we were talking about doing this Batman theme show, like I was kind of looking at the gallery and I was like, wait a minute. Like, I kind of I kind of remember that. Like, that's that's what I like to do when we do this is all, you know, whether it's you know just a random thing or we have a theme for this. Like, I, I like to just look at the galleries on the, the Marvel or the DC Wicca and just kind of see what 
kind of jumps out at me and sometimes it'll jog a memory it'll jog something very specific and i'll be like yes that one i bought that issue of fantastic four because it has a t-rex on the cover and you know so, and there's other times where i'm yeah. just like mm, this 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 cover seems familiar. like I, it looks like a matt wagner i'm like yep yeah. i'm like oh it's for stephanie brown like for spoiler like okay like i want i want to reread this because i kind of remember you know just from reading the description on the wiki the wiki i was like yeah i, I remember this like clue master and you know like you know she was the one like you know kind of spoiling his fun like yeah i remember that so I, that's why i wanted to revisit it because you know like i I've said this on a couple, a couple of different shows, but I like I've been reading a lot of like 70s and 80s detective comics and Batman books, and you know this is a little bit after that, but like yeah, I, same you know, I, yeah, it's it, it's in the same vein. Like I, like I said, I remember Burns stealing a ton of like Batman books, and and especially I especially Burns stole Catwoman for very <laughs> obvious reasons. Yeah, I was... why would he do that? Balance giant titty cat woman. Why would you do that? <laughs> Impossible. No, I, I was gonna tell you, Justin. Like, don't don't feel bad because I I feel like I, I know I said five ninety seven was the first issue of Detective Comics I bought probably from like a spinner rack, but I, I do remember like Burns stealing like five ninety five because it was like an invasion tie in and that's where. He, like, Batman would, like, fight with the mm. Thanagarians and stuff. And I think later I eventually just bought it in a back issue bin. But, I mean, I do remember seeing it on the stands and flipping through it and everything. And essentially I, you know, it's like, burn stealer, you know, or whatever. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> hey, whatever. We weren't all made of money. So, you know, that's, that's just yeah. how it went. The, 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 I, the most drunk guy on the podcast is the most noble one. I have never stolen a comic. <laughs> Eat it, fanboys. I am your Superman, probably Obama Superman. Fuck off. <laughs> well, I I feel like if John Byrne like happened to like listen to this first, he'd be like, you know, don't call it Byrne stealing. I hate that. And then second, he would probably like tie me to the stake and burn me alive for like you know reading a comic and not buying it. Would he burn you or B Y R N E burn you? <laughs> hey, just be careful. You don't play with his superpowers, Aquaman, or else he'll beat the shit out of you. You know. There was that story about how Byrne had all the superpowers figures for, like, you know, reference and stuff. And, and he had them all nicely set up, and they weren't, you know, really for playing. But, like, some kid came over, of, you know, one of his friends to the house and started messing around with Aquaman. And the whole thing was like, you do not touch Aquaman. <laughs> it's just like, he's a kid. I don't know. It's a toy. But... Well, as far as I as, as far as I know, Alex Ross pooped out every superpowers action figure from his immaculate feces because he loves them so much. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I, 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 I get annoyed at like, Alex Ross's like super friends love. Not, not that I care, but I'm like sitting here crossing out Alex Ross and John Byrne. Along with Colin Bunn, who are never going to come on the show. I've killed another one, yes. <sighs> as far as final thoughts, these are great Batman issues. Like, if you like Batman, like, these are fun. These are good, good stuff. The artists progressed over the years. I, I, I told Justin, I've read the Clue Master issue. Fun, fun stuff. I mean, like, I have nothing bad to say about any of these Batman issues, except for the first one that Derek posited, because I feel bad I never read it before. I never read that one, and I feel bad, and the only negative thing I have to say is, I should have read it earlier. 
because I love Norm Breakfogel and the interiors were really good. So three great comics, really, really good Batman stuff this week. Yeah, I, I really liked Eric's pick. Like I said, I'd never read that before, and I, I, re- I was really kind of fascinated by that story, you know, I've, as I've talked about it a little bit on here. Tony's I had read before, but it was nice to kind of go back and read that because it, it had been a while since I read it. Like I said, like I've always liked Robin, so it's it's nice to like, you know, sit down and kind of talk about Robin and spoiler a bit because I don't I don't know that I've ever like had a chance to talk about Robin and spoiler like on on any of the other shows we've did and it's it's nice to kind of like you know venture out a, a bit and talk about some things or some characters that are a bit more personal or have more kind of meaning to you or you you, know, you have for whatever reason more memories attached to them. So like I I kind of like doing these shows because it it always has me like you know searching the back of my mind like trying to like you know call for some like half forgotten memory of like you know burn stealing uh you know an issue of Catwoman or whatnot or, or kind of like sitting on the couch you know having Robin do his karate chop action on Mister Freeze for the thousandth time. Now I'll show you what I already know. As one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. There is fire, there is smoke. Burn it down! Burn it down! Dick, you're fired! Thank you. Flame on! Hey, Johnny! I didn't know you could ignite parts of your body. Now, to do the job, I need some high-octane gasoline. Burn, baby! Burn! Ray Shields. Fire! What would you like to do in the whole world? Burn it all. Your world will burn. Come on, let's burn them all. Go, go. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Third Degree Burn, a podcast looking at all things John Byrne. Available at tutufreaks.com. All right. Well, that that seems like a good note to take us out on. So if you've enjoyed listening to Fanholes, comic books, motherfucker, do you read them? We hope you will consider checking out some of the other Fanholes podcast shows. Of course, we've got the Fanholes proper podcast. There's a whole selection of episodes for you to listen to there. And we also have our other spin-off shows, such as Fanholes Transformers Tuesdays, Mobile Suit Mondays, Sentai Saturdays, and Toku Thursdays. We are, of course, on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. If you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, if you're John Byrne or Alex Ross, and you want to send us some angry, angry emails, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. And we are on all kinds of social media, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We, of course, appreciate all the likes and feedback we receive there. We're on iTunes. We are streamable on Stitcher Radio. So until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. This is Justin. (laughs) Hello, Javi. Now we're going to get rid of the bats. This is Tony. Test, test.
Test, test. You can hear me okay and everything? Yeah. Rock the body as your body rocks the body. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty loud. Here I am, rock you like a hurricane. Can I accidentally call you guys Jason and then be like, oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. This grenade. Just, just, this don't grenade. Call, just don't call me Jeff by accident. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 I'm like, okay, hey, Jeff. This is Jeff. <laughs> See, that's my, that's my no prize. He's like, he calls Dick Grayson, calls everybody he thinks is a douche, Jeff. She's like, all right, Jeff. Onari, oh, Jeff <laughs> Oh my god, Apocalypse is sitting on Earth. What the hell is Jeff doing? It's like that's what that's what he called Jericho the first like three months in Titan's Tower. <laughs> oh hey, what's up, Jeff? Uh, I possess people. I'm really cool. Yeah, you're like Jessica. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Okay. Whatever, whatever, Jeff. What's your name? Oh, I'm Raven. I'm the soul of Trigon's daughter. Like, okay, cool, Jeff. Whatever. That's, that's what that's what he called Gnark, like the first couple months in Titans Tower too. Like, this is Gnark. What's your name? My name Gnark. And you're a caveman. I'm Gnark. Yeah, okay, Jeff. Whatever, Jeff. <laughs> Starfire comes in with like like no fucking clothes on. I was like, all right, Jeff, let's do this. <laughs> 